This is Growth Masters. The show for CEOs, CMOs, and anyone wanting to keep up with what's new in the world of business, marketing, and tech. You're in conversation with Robert Tadros. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Growth Masters podcast. On the show today, we have a two times Young Entrepreneur Award winner. He's an international speaker, property investor, wealth coach, philanthropist. And look, if that wasn't enough, he's the author of the bestseller, Your Path to Wealth, Brick by Brick. Please welcome to the show, the one and only Chris Christoffi. My man. Thanks for that that crazy intro, mate. Thank you very much. It seems like forever ago I won the Young Entrepreneur Award. I'm 41 now. I just turned 41 a couple of days ago. So there you go. Are you going to go for this year's one or what? Under 40s, definitely, yeah. (laughs) I might dye my hair and give it another go. Last year, my first, you better dye your hair. You're looking a bit old. So what do you mean I'm looking a bit old? So I dyed my hair, went up there. They go, you look about 30, 35. I said, I'm 40. I'm definitely not going to go for it. But the very time that you said that, I was very fortunate. Today, I just had a friend of mine come in from Glenville that we received an award for. And this week, we also got the Platinum Achiever Awards for choice. So this week, we received two awards. So I was very, very proud of my team's achievements. And yeah, so I'm glad that they're still coming. That's awesome, man. That's that's really good news, Chris. It's really, really good news, especially during these tough times. You know, like, it's good to hear some 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 positive stories, you know. Chris, tell me, man, like, how did you start? I know you had a bit of a rocky start. Like, you know, look, I'm not going to say most entrepreneurs because some of them are funded and all the rest of it. But, you know, you're one that I can definitely, you know, would be mates and I can definitely resonate to, to your story. So, like, how did you start? What's your story? Well, look, I started out um, in sales since I was a kid, since I was 10. I love sales. I've been selling things all my life. When I was 19, I stumbled across uh, real estate. And the way I did that is my father, my father gave all of us, I'm the youngest of four siblings, a, a wedding present of 30,000. Now I wasn't married. And I said to my father, the way I'm going, I'm never going to get married. Give me my money early. And he goes, what do you want it for, son? I said, I want to buy a car. He goes, no, nah, you can't have it. I go, why? Because you need to put in real estate, Chris. So when I found my first job in real estate, I was thinking, how can I learn about real estate? I started working for a company. I did all my due diligence and I bought my first piece of real estate, a three bedroom townhouse in New South Wales, Tweed, 183,900. How old were you? I was 19. 19, okay. That's when I got in the industry. That's when I got into property. So I've been in property now for almost 22 years. Uh, I started, I fell in love with the process, fell in love with real estate, fell in love with what I did. So by, what I did is I just successfully duplicated that process. By the age of 24, I owned a properties. Things were going good. I was making a lot of money selling. It was something that really resonated with me, selling real estate and helping people financially re- retire. Then the company I was working for at the time went into receivership, owed me about 780 grand. My son became deaf. Um, I almost lost him to bacterial meningitis. I started you know, doing things I shouldn't be doing. Long story short, within a year, I went from penthouse to that house. Lost everything. Lost my car. I accumulated a lot of debt, 348,000. And I had to move back into my parents' house and I lost all my assets. So I thought to myself- Bloody hell, I've got literally like goosebumps. Yeah, <laughs> like so some shivers up my spine. I, I, I've got a picture that I look at every day, which is my first office, which is my mother's house. I started with a vision, uh, a dream and a vision with 348 grand worth of debt. And I thought to myself, I'm considering bankruptcy, but I don't want the easy option. I need to show my son that you need to fight out of adversity. What a good time to start a business. So I knew how to sell real estate and I knew what impact it would have. 
So I started, I got a 1-800 number because it seems like you're a big company when you got a 1-800 number. <laughs> I'm in my mom's house, answering calls, doing leads, selling real estate. I bought 10 leads from an overseas call center. I generated two sales, received commission. I bought 20 leads and just successfully kept duplicating that process. My vision was to have a fully integrated financial services company. So in March this year, fast forward 15 years, we celebrate our 15 years in business. We've got 12, 13 businesses. We offer five key services. We sell real estate, property management, finance, accounting, property management. Um, we've won awards in all disciplines and we've grown from strength to strength. But yeah, that's kind of a fast track of my journey. We've helped that's amazing, man. to sell the billion dollars worth of real estate and we love doing it. That's awesome. And I, I look, I, I mean, I personally have always been a big believer in investing into mud pro. I think you, you, you know, if you've got half a brain, you can't really stuff it up. Although some people do, right? But I think, you know, just personally, and you know, again, like I said, I can resonate to this. You know, my a lot of my investments have always been in just in, in dirt, right? It's always property. Chris, you mentioned there the on a couple of occasions actually your vision, right? And I and I and I I want to just touch on that for a second, right? Because man, what a story, right? Like a lot of people would have thrown the towel in and gone, F that, that's too hard. You know, I've lost it all. I can't remember starting again, where you've gone like, you know, mate, I'm going to tackle it head on. So how important do you think that vision was to your success yeah. today? For me, it was everything. But I always like to say, I love adversity. I want you to put me in front of a situation where you think it's not possible for this guy to succeed. He's in big trouble. Yeah. He's not going to get out of this. And I know that I'm going to put my best foot forward. It actually excites me to have that prospect where I've got uh, challenges around me. And it's all about mindset and your, your thoughts become things. And it's what you, I always knew that I was going to get back on my feet with a vengeance. I always knew I could help people. Don't get me wrong. Is there days that I feel, man, this is difficult. I want to throw the towel in. It's tough. Yes. Being an entrepreneur, you're going to have more bad days than good days. But they're, they're the ones that you grow from the most. And like looking at this year, it's been so challenging. It's like year one again in business. 15 yeah. years in business, we've had COVID hit us. But I also look at the opportunity to grow. And I, and I noticed what you were doing. You're doing, um, we're doing exactly the same thing, Impressive 2.0. I've had a business strategy just come in. We're doing Reventon 2.0. New yeah. vision, new mission, new growth, new direction, where we're heading. We've put on 11 new people in the last six weeks. We've got another four coming. We're actually aggressively growing our business and brand because for me, now's the time to step on it. So there's two ways you can look at adversity. It's too hard. No one, I can't do this or no one else is going to do it. I'm really going to grow. So for me, I love it. So the harder it is, the more challenging it is. I remember one thing I'll never forget it. I went home and I was hoping for my mom to give me some mother, motherly love. I've lost everything. As, as we do. <laughs> I just got home. My mom's super tough, tough love. And I was waiting for her to give me a hug and say, Chris. A tough Greek, mate. She probably would have thrown a slipper at you or something. Get, yeah. get back up and get back out there. Or something. She does it all the time. <laughs> I was waiting for her to say, Chris, don't worry. It's going to be okay. Just a hug. Give me something. My mom goes to me, look at you. Look at the position you're in. Who's going to want you now? What are you going to do? And I thought to myself, instead of helping me, she kicks me all on down. But for me, I respond to that sort of pressure. At that particular time, I did want a hug, I must be honest. But every entrepreneur that I speak to, has a great story and it's a story of spirit. It's a story of, I'm not going to give up and I'm going to find a solution. I'm going to get better. And the, people don't stop throwing rocks at you. The rocks keep getting bigger, but you just get more equipped to deal with them. You, you deal with pressure. And like yeah. I said, a lot of my team members, 
when you play a video game or if you play a sport, everything's levels. Business is levels. That's right. As you go up in levels, your competency increases, your ability to deal with pressure increases. For me, what gets me out of bed and gets me excited is I want to see what the next level looks like. I want to see what's going to make me stop. What's going to say, this is too hard. I want to keep going until I see, I want to see what I can achieve. And more importantly, the cornerstone to it, I want to help as many Australians retire financially secure as possible. So when I hear clients say to me, Chris, I never would have uh, invested if it wasn't for you. Or Chris, I made this much money. I paid off my mortgage. Or thanks for giving me that advice. That's what it was always about for me. When I saw what the what property did for me and my father and my family, I wanted to share that with as many people as possible. So that's why Reventon was born. It's, it's, it's amazing, Rook. And, and you touched on it a couple of times there, but I think, you know, there's this, people talk about, they glamorize entrepreneurship, right? They think it's this like, it's cool. You know, I want to be an entrepreneur. In fact, I fucking hate using the bloody word, right? And, and I think what, what they don't understand is what it actually comes with, the amount of baggage that that comes with, right? We're problem solvers. That's what, that's what we do, right? And we want to get knocked down and get back up and try it again, right? Like that's how we thrive. It's exciting. Right? It's that's right, right? But if it was easy and we can just earn millions and millions and just sit at home or on the beach and you know work off your off your laptop, that's not that exciting, right? We want to fall over, cop it, get back up, do it again and again and again and again. And, and I think true entrepreneurship, you have to have that resilience in you. If you if you absolutely it's it's yeah, I, I totally, totally agree. You mentioned there a couple of times, like I'm a big believer in defining like your purpose right why you get out of bed in the morning and i think you've touched on it there a, a couple of times and like it's almost like your personal mission right have you landed on what that is yet for reventon no just for I'm you personally right I, Australians yeah to build grow and protect their wealth for now and generations to come my personal mission is to i just want to keep getting better i just want to keep growing i want to keep evolving i don't want to stop i share a funny story with you that i, I don't think i've told this to anyone but i share a funny story when people glamorize entrepreneurship look how well they've done and all this it took me 16 years to do this for the first six years i was putting everything i had back in my business hmm. some days for many years i was getting up at 245 going to the office coming back at six seven i remember one day it was very tough it was early on in my business i was paying wages it was very stressful putting in 40, 50 hours in two, three days in a week, putting in 100, 100 hours. So stressful. And I remember I went and gave a speech to my team to motivate them. Now, my mother-in-law is my CFO. So she, that's she, dangerous. Geez, that's dangerous business. Dangerous. <laughs> she knew the financial pressure I was in. Now, I went into that meeting and I delivered a speech and a half. I gave everything I had. I was at the 499 building. When I finished that meeting, I went down the stairs. I went to the back of the park. I sat on a thing and I screamed with everything I had. I released everything I had. I was about to pass out. And that day was when my mother-in-law called my wife and goes, is Chris okay? She goes, yeah, you would never know that anything's wrong with him. That meeting, I exuded all my energy to inspire and to lead my team. But I knew what we had to do and what, what position we were in. So when people glamorize entrepreneurship, there's some nights I don't sleep one wink. I stay up all night. My wife goes, what are you thinking? I said, I don't know where to start, but would I have any other way? No, I'm obsessed in that. I love the feeling of the pressure of growing and taking yourself to the next level. You only grow when you're under extreme pressure. It's like that when you're working 100%, out. 100%, man. I, I, I totally agree with it. You know, like I think, and, and, and again, it's like when it comes down to, to leadership, you know, I'm, I'm very big on showing vulnerability, right? Absolutely. You need to inspire and you need to, you need to motivate the team. But at the same time, we're humans. Right. And, and sometimes leaders get put up on this pedestal like they're, 
you know, they're gods, right? But the reality is we're still humans. We, 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 need, to, we need to apply pressure. We need to deal with pressure. We need to work under pressure and, and be very quick on our, on, on our feet, right? So how big is the team now? Well, we've got over 50 now. We're getting close 50, to 55. Okay. But you mentioned something. I want to touch on it. You mentioned being vulnerable. If anyone says they're not vulnerable, they're not human. The difference between exactly. a great entrepreneur and a great leader is I'm going to show up every single day. If you say to me, Chris, you're exhausted, I'm going to be there tomorrow. If it's not 2.45 in the morning, it's 2.30 in the morning. I'm going to show up mm. every day. But to say I'm not vulnerable, I don't feel pain or whatever, that would be bullshit. I do. I, I, I totally agree. I'm, like, I'm exhausted. I think this is difficult. But that's part of what I love. That's mm. part of what I enjoy. And look, it's, 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 it's being able to show up every day and give it your all. It's being able to say, I'm not going to quit. So I always have a mantra. I'm either going to die or I'm going to succeed. So if I have something tough in my mind, I've got two things I say to myself every morning when I step on the step on the ground, let's go, or it's my time. I always say that if something's tough, when I was about to fight, when I was kickboxing, the bell goes, I'd always say in my mind, let's go. Something switches on. If I'm about yeah. to play a snooker event and I'm about to compete, let's go. If I'm, at, if I'm an entrepreneur and I'm about to do something, let's go. That's how my mind works. I forgot to add that to the list, actually. You're a professional snooker player. I'm definitely not a professional snooker player. <laughs> I was ranked number three. I got to a good state. I represented Victoria five years in a row, under 18s, under 21s. And the kid that I represented Victoria with is number two, uh, three in the world. He was number one. And he's the best Australian in the history of the sport, the best out of the UK. His name's Neil Robinson. So I did do snooker as a, as a young kid. We have a snooker hall in Yarraville called the Reventon Snooker Academy. So two of my passions were fighting and snooker, which are polar opposites, one strategic. Yeah, but there's yeah. something interesting in that, right? They're two very competitive sports. Yeah, they right? were. For me, I loved them. Like I grew up in a pool hall when I was, I started playing when I was 13. I used to spend five, 10 hours a day in a mm. pool hall, six, seven days a week. Yeah, and, 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 I, and I think there's something in there, right? Like the, those, two, those two sports are very, I mean, you know, I, I box, right? So I, I do it just for, for a bit of fun than, than anything else. And I know your brother's like a, was a professional boxer, right? So he probably mm -hmm. kicked kick my ass. But um, there's something in that, Chris, right? Like they're, they're very competitive, right? And, and I think true leaders and true entrepreneurs have got this com the competitiveness and it's, it's just like, it's, it's in their DNA, it right? Is. We're out there to succeed and win. You know, like the second is not, there is no option, right? It's like you win or die. And, and, and I think like, like looking from, from your experience, if you've grown up um, in both those sports, like there's no, there's no wonder that you've, you know, there's no, no wonder you've, you've become successful. You know, I, I, I think, you know, it probably pulled out a lot of the resilience in you and a lot of that competitive edge. Would well, you look, agree? Or do you think? Look, look, snooker was always a, a gentleman's and a strategic sport. And I love that. Um, because it's a game where it requires a lot of skill. But fighting, it's just you versus that person. And it actually, no matter what anyone says, when the bell goes and my brother stepped out of the ring, it's just me and the opponent, there is nothing more liberating than actually getting in the ring and actually competing. So that's why I love mixed martial arts. I love boxing, kickboxing. My brother was a Commonwealth champion and he was my trainer. And I yeah. remember in one of my podcasts, funny enough, I interviewed the great Sam Solomon, who's a friend of mine. Now, he's the one that actually broke my nose. It was actually a shin kick to the face. He was actually an amazing kickboxer before he was a boxer. Ah. He was brilliant with his legs. Yeah. And um, I used to train with him. And one of my fights was in my corner because he was one of my favorite guys. And I, I asked him, would you be my corner man for one fight? And he said, yes. He used to come and spar me, train with me. 
because you knew my brother well and he's just a true gentleman and, and he was an amazing fighter and extremely yeah. hard to hit. He would look, he would fight like this, like a monkey and you'd think, this guy's easy to tag. <laughs> he'd do whatever the hell he's doing and he'll tag you three or four times. So it's always, um, yeah, there've always been sports that I've enjoyed and I've used that fighting spirit when it comes to my business. I've used that when it comes to life. So I don't mind, I don't mind getting beat up. I don't mind getting dropped. But you know what? If I'm breathing, I'm right. going to stand back up. I love that, man. I love that. It's part of the resilience, right? Chris, I read, man, like you've got, like you're running like 11 businesses or something, right? How is that even possible? <laughs> um, look, with, I've got ADHD, so I think it's, uh, <laughs> I think it actually helps my mind. Hey, you, know, you know something on that? I was actually reading the other day, sorry, sort of just go off on a bit of a tangent. Some of the best CEOs and founders and entrepreneurs on a global scale, I'm talking like Richard Branson, the founder of Ikea, I've all got ADHD. You, you, like, you know what? It's I've, I've had it when I was young. I, I, things bore me very, very easy. And I had I was dyslexic. So I was never interested when I was at school. But I knew at eight years old I wanted to become. And I would always chase. When I was 13, I'd go play pool tournaments. And I'd go to a morning one, a lunch one, and, an, and a night one. And I'd collect trophies. So I got to the stage where I collected like 200. Because I used to compete. And I'd play all the time. And all my mind was just, I wanted to compete and get better, compete and get better. And I've used that in, I use that in my business life a lot. And I don't know, I think my mind gets bored very easy. So when I was at school, I was either extremely dumb or I wasn't interested. Mm. So I was only good at one thing at school. I was very gifted when it came to maths, numbers. So it served me well when I played poker. So I loved numbers. I was terrible at everything else. And the only sports that I'm good at, snooker, table tennis, and fighting. When I wanted to play soccer, I was that bad. I couldn't even get on the bench in my school. That's how bad I was. I had two left feet. So when my mates would be playing soccer, I'd go watch them. I'd be trying to pick up the girls on the side. or watch my friends. Play. I was that bad at every sport, except the three that I liked. Table tennis, fighting, and snooker. Everything else, I was the worst probably in the school. That's interesting. Huh? Like, I like, yeah, I mean, it, it fascinates me when I mean, I've had people tell me I've got ADHD because I just can't fucking sit still, right? I'm doing a million things at once. And I, and I must say people with, with ADHD, I think it's a blessing because you can multitask. You can do a million things at any given time, right? So do you think, I mean, going back to the question, right? Do you actually think that that's helps you, helped you get to where you are and be able to run a living company? Well, Kerwin Ray says it does. He thinks it's a superpower. I don't, I don't mind that I've got it. My wife, it annoys the crap out of her and most people that I deal with. So as I've been talking to people, they say, "Bye, I've already hanged up and my mates would get so annoyed. <laughs> I'd do that all the time. So I, I slow down a lot. Like now when I'm working or when I'm talking to you, I get excited and I talk really quick and I'm animated. But when I go overseas, I went to the Maldives and I'm on the beach with my wife, I slow down. And sometimes I just think, I just want to be normal today. And what I mean yeah. by normal, just a normal person doesn't think a million miles an hour but I can't switch it off. Most of the times, whether I'm at nighttime and I might be up, I'm like this, I'm just, my mind's constantly thinking, whether I'm in the office, I'm just, mm -hmm. I enjoy it though. I wouldn't be able to live without it, but is it, has, has I think it's helped me is the question you asked. I believe it has. Does it annoy everyone around me 100%? Would I have it, have it any other way? No, I love, I love what I do and I love, yeah, I am annoying. The ADHD does annoy a lot of my friends, family, and especially my wife, but it's me. People appreciate me for who I am now. The, the founder of Ikea, and I was watching a, uh, a documentary, and he said, I, if there was a medication to stop 
my ADHD or ADD at the time before it got uh, re renamed, he said, I wouldn't take it because it wouldn't, it's made me who I am, you know, I, and he literally talks about how it's a superpower, you know, like ever since he, he got diagnosed and found that he had it, he's been very public about it. Right. And he, and he says it's his biggest strength. Yeah. You said you've got it. What is your, what are your, and this is intriguing. So I want to know what do your A business colleagues, friends and wife say about it? Is it, it how, how do they like that? No, they all think I've got it. I've never actually been diagnosed with it, but you know, like- how do, how do they feel about it? Like, I know it definitely helps from a business sense because I've seen it for my, I think it's very, very good. It's a power, but how do people feel around it? Oh, they hate it, man. Like, you know, people think oh, I can't concentrate to save my life. I've got a very short attention span. They reckon my memory is like a goldfish. Um, and then they sit there and go, how the hell did you even manage to get to where you are? <laughs> you know, Sounds but it's awesome. like, well, and I was like, look, Scott, I know it's going to sound contradicting, but it's probably because you think I've got ADHD, right? And it's so interesting. So many people in business that I speak to are exactly the same. Exactly the same, right? Um, says, I think ADHD people do excessive things as well. So when I used to play sports, six, eight, 10 hours a day, when I compete, correct. it's consistent. When I'm at work, it's 150%. Like it's, it's extremely excessive. But what I'm trying to do now, Rob, but I definitely think it's a power. I want to harness that that mm. energy and focus on less tasks, but go more vertical with them. Mm. So I want to keep my ADHD, but I want to be able to use that more of a more of a power and not get distracted as much. And it's I can tell you one thing: it's been the hardest thing I've ever done. Now I was at the uh, Marina Bay Sands, and my wife wanted to take me to yoga. Now I go to her, listen. I'm going to go with you, but. I'm going to ruin everyone's experience and you're making a mistake, but I'm going to go with you because I love you. So she took me to Marina Bay Sands on the top, right at the top. And we're doing yoga. The nicest views you can have in Singapore. Yeah. The teacher and four or five people and me, I'm trying to hold a pose. And after two seconds, I can't stay still. I'm just saying jokes <laughs> falling out of their pose and they're pissing themselves laughing and she's looking at me, kicking me. And I go, you bought me. I can't help it. And the teacher goes, are you going to come back tomorrow? And I said, I'm not, I, can't, I, can't come, I can't come back here. I knew that I wouldn't be able to stay still and hold a pose. But I tried it. It wasn't for me. But I hope one day to be able to do stuff like that and meditate and do things because my mind doesn't allow me to do it. But Well, that's an interesting one. You know, meditation helps a lot with it. And um, I, I, I mean, I meditate on a, on a daily basis. And that in itself is a, is a bit of a challenge, right? But it's... It's just having that awareness and realization that you've got something that is, honestly, I think it is a superpower, right? If you like, there's so much content on the internet. If you read about like Bill Gates, Walt Disney, Richard Branson, you know, like the IKEA founder, they've all got it. I mean, a lot of people didn't even know Bill Gates had ADHD and he still got it, right? Yeah, just Google and you'll find out about it. And they all say the same thing. It's like a secret superpower, right? But the key is to know when to pull that tool out when you need it. Right, because it can it can go against you, right? Um, if you let it, I guess for me, like a lot of the reading and a lot of um, the research that I've done, is if you like, if you let it overtake who you are, it will overrun you. But if you know you've got something there that can be very useful in certain situations, and to be able to get you maybe pivot you and excel you in life, know how to control it. Otherwise, it can have some very compulsive behaviors, right? Like there's a lot of people ADHD that are like addicted gamblers and then they end up, you know, killing themselves. Or, you know, I mean, there's, there's, there's tons of stories, right? So I think, you know, the, the key on that point is that people think of, you know, people that are ADHD, it's like they're weird. They're not weird. In fact, they've probably got something that you should, you know, you wish you had, 
I love because you say that. I, I used to gamble as well, so I used to do all that, play poker. But I remember Same. one thing. I, never, I remember one thing, and I won't forget this. I went to a, the mentor with Mark Boris, who I'm a big fan of. Everyone knows that. And he mentioned, and this is what I envision. People talk about not having ego or having ego. And I said to my wife, I want to have ego. She goes, what do you mean? I think it's very powerful. And any great person should have ego, but understand how to use it. Now, ADHD, I want to have ADHD, but I want to know, mm. I want to use it. He used this analogy, which I think was brilliant. Imagine a toolkit. I need a hammer. I'm taking a hammer. I need a screwdriver and a screwdriver. So if I need to use my ADHD, I want to use it. If I need mm. to go do what I need to do with ego, I want to use it. I want to have all the tools and be emotionally intelligent enough to use them as I need them. I don't want to eliminate any aspect of that because I think anyone that's insane to what they do, I think is very, well, is good by definition. Connor said it, you don't, you don't have to love much. You need to be obsessed in what you do. Yeah. And for me, I'm like that with business. I'm like that when it comes to helping people. I'm like that when it comes to going to the next level. For me, I, I look at my, my brothers who run a great business and they have a great life and they're brilliant family men, and they do so well. And I'm mm. envious of it, not jealous, envious, because they're normal human beings. But that's just not me. I know that if I slowed down to that point, I wouldn't be able to, I wouldn't be happy or content. I envy that, but I could never be that way. For me, as soon as I get to, I remember, I'll never forget this. I bought a car, beautiful car, driving out. I was maybe 28. I just bought a new Audi convertible TT. Just bought it outright, bought myself a gift. I have just left the dealership. I'm in the car. My wife's beside me. I've turned the corner. 50 meters, I go, I can't wait to get this car. Because you haven't even gone home yet. And my mind, I've got the car. I haven't even gone home. I've turned the corner, I, go, I can't wait to get this car. She yeah. goes, you're crazy. Go, that, 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 it's, it's not that I'm, I'm not content. I'm never satisfied, ever. Yeah, and I think there's something in that. I mean, my wife bloody says the same thing, right? But but I think it's as part of that entrepreneurship and business leader um, uh, attributes, right? Is that you're always looking for how you can better yourself or, or like the next challenge, right? Like for you, if I use that example, for you to get that next car, that's the next challenge for you, right? The car is just the prize. It's how you're going to get there, right? And, and, I, and I think if I was to relate this to, to even just use that analogy, you know, for, from a business point of view, and you touched on it before around like, you know, Riventon 2.0, Impressive 2.0. Business is a journey, right? Where's point A? Where's point B? How are you going to get there, right? And just map out the different stops and the plots along the way where you're going to, where you're going to, all the checkpoints, right? And, and I think, you know, you can apply that, that methodology or that thinking to any, anything that we do, we do in life, whether it's buy the next house, buy the next investment, I don't know, start the next company or grow the net or grow your company from X to Y or expand, right? So you can apply the same thing. It's always like, okay, where are we? Where are we going? How are we going to get there, right? And then having those checkpoints uh, uh, along the way, which is like for me, when you know, if I'll talk about Impressive 2.0, it was exactly that. It's like, guys, this is our one-year plan. It's our three-year aspirations, right? We don't know what's going to happen. I mean, COVID hit, for God's sake, right? So it threw a, bit, a massive spanner in the works. But again, it was like, we know where we are. We know where we're going to get to. Is everybody on, is everybody on the journey? And then, you, you know, it's that transparency that comes across and vulnerability that comes across from a, from a leadership perspective. To, to, to be able to communicate to the team what that journey actually 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 looks like so that they feel like they're part of something, right? Um, and then a part of that, you mentioned it is around ego. Like I think business owners naturally just have an ego, right? I mean, it's, and there's nothing wrong with it. It's about, and like you said, it's about knowing when to use it. 
and I love the analogy you gave around the, the toolbox, right? It's like, you've got a toolbox, you've got ADHD and you've got ego, you've got, you know, whatever else is in there. It's just, it's knowing when to pull out certain tools to, 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 to do a job. But it's also just as important to know to put it back in the toolbox and not let it run your life. Yeah, you, you bring this a lot. And I like a lot of your posts, Robin, when you the other day you're doing your morning routine and how you try to gather your thoughts and how you use meditation. But I think all of these things bring up a good point. And as a leader, I think we need to be emotionally intelligent enough to understand we need all these things. For me, my number one thing is, and you've probably seen if you follow my posts, is being a humble, giving, good human being. Yeah. Now, for me, I can honestly tell you in the eyes, that's my number one. For me, my kids, my family, I want to be known by that. But if I want to show up to something and I know that I'm my back against the wall, I'm going to use every tool I've got. Here's some ego times it by 10 ADHD and I'm showing up. Yeah. Because if, if I'm, if I have to go down that path, I want to know that I'm going to show up. So for me, as I said, cause I'm reading, I read a lot of books and my wife, you know, we read a lot about stoicism, about spiritualism and I, and I love learning about all new things. And she spoke to me, she goes, you know, a few years ago, you know, when you were younger, you had a very big ego. And I said, Oh, I question everything. And to some degree, she was right to mo probably mostly. And I go to, I never want that to go away totally because I want to have that fighting spirit. Now, I don't want, I don't want to be egocentric to say that this guy's got a massive ego, but if something needs to shop and I need to shop to fight, I want to make sure that I'm there. So I think it's good to have both aspects. And as you mentioned, I have no aspirations of eliminating my DHD of not having all these tools. I just want to be able to use them. And when Mark said that, I really resonated with you. And I thought, that's an ideology that I can embrace. That's an ideology that I want to be a part of. Because everyone's got different ideologies of what you should do, what you should become, what you need to become. What I always say to everyone, everyone that I see, I learn things good and bad. And I put them into this toolkit, which is Chris Christoffi, to become a better version of me. And I go, I learned from all people, good things and things that I don't want to do because you can learn from everyone. And I don't think there's a wrong or a right. No one does you like you. So I always say, I totally do. Agree. And I always say that yeah. I'm not going to try to be someone I'm not. I'm me. People it's like great way to look at it. Don't. That's cool too. Yeah, I, man, I'm exactly the same. I'm black and white. It's like, you either like me, you don't. You know, if you don't like me, it's cool. It's fine. You know, I'm not here to, you know, to, to, to make friends. And, and, I, and, and the other thing as well, I've always been a big believer in is like learn from my experience. I think certain leaders and, and, and certain entrepreneurs are very cagey about their learnings and they don't like to, to, to use what I guess what they've learned. And because generally a lot of the time it's like it's costing hundreds of thousands and, and probably in some cases millions. Right. So they're like, I've paid for that mistake. I'm going to keep it to myself where I'm like, you know what? Stuff that I've paid for that mistake. I'll rather give it to the Robert. Look at this. What can go in? What's that, your hand? Yeah, my fist. What can go in? What can go in? Yeah. Nothing. What can go out? Nothing. What can go in? Everything. What can go out? Everything. See that? That's my office. Oh, boom. Look at that. Everything we didn't even reverse that. <laughs> so when you're looking at, when you're looking at, um, when you're looking, sorry, you're a bit of a shameless break for the two of them. That's cool. Right? Oof, when, you're, when you're looking at, when you're looking at, I, I say this all the time. If you don't want anything going, you don't want to have an abundance mindset and you don't want to share, you're a closed fist. For me, I will give you everything I've got. But guess what? I want everything as well. But I'll start with giving everything and it can be reciprocated. So the reason I have that open palm there is to, is, is to signify I'm an open palm. I'll give you all the information and all my learnings and everything I've ever done because I wish someone did that for me. 
So you said that it's such a powerful point. The people that have a closed mindset, nothing goes in. But an abundant mindset, and Simon Sinek talks a lot about this. I know you're a big fan. We've spoke yeah. about this offline as well. Having an infinite mindset is so important, but it also makes you feel so much better because you're not bottling things up inside your emotions, your secrets. Your Nothing's better than having speaking to an entrepreneur that knows exactly what you're going through and say, hey, Robert, I'm really struggling here. I've reached out to you and you know, we've had some challenge with COVID and how are you dealing with things? And I'll, I want to hear your thoughts because I know they're honest and raw. But in return, when you ask me something, you're going to get 110% of exactly what I'm going through. The good, yeah. the bad, the ugly. And today I'm super excited. I'm happy I'm in the office and I'm talking to you yesterday. I had one of those days that I just thought to myself, it was yeah. one of the toughest days. My wife called me and I go, listen, it's one of those days today. Please give me some space because I know how I'm feeling. But today, it's a good day. But it's you, you got you to know that you're going to have a lot of those days and Yesterday was one of them. I was having Man, it's like, three businesses, not one, three of my businesses, because when it rains, it pours. Yeah, it's such an interesting point, right? Like the other, I don't know, you probably remember this. A few months ago, I put up a post and I was like, I can't remember exactly what I said, but I started seeing a leadership therapist, right? Okay. And I started getting like phone calls, emails, DMs, you know, like, what's wrong? You know, are you okay? You know, how could you even go to public with something like this? I said, guys, hold on a second. Do you see a personal trainer? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, do you rave on about it? Yeah. Why do you rave about seeing a personal trainer and not seeing a therapist? I go, I'm seeing a leadership therapist because I manage a team of 65 people. And guess what? It starts with me. So if I can't help myself, how the hell am I going to help them? And they're like, well, that's a fair point. I'm like, so th like there is no vulnerability here, right? Like for, at the end of the day, I'm an open book, right? And like, even just my, my team looked at them. They're like, wow, Rob, like appreciate it, right? And I, and I said, guys, I'm here. If you want to talk to me, if, you, if there's anything that you want to talk about, you know, like, I've got an open door policy, right? And, and and I think that in leadership, I think is a very, very important um, attribute. Not, every, not, everyone's, not everyone's got that that honesty, but also that confidence. Now, if I'm asking you to share something with me and I'm, this is my leadership team, do you know what I always do when I sit down in my leadership boardroom? I start Sorry. with something that's bothering me. I start with something I'm feeling vulnerable. I start with something. And then people are more likely to feel it's a comfortable space. So by doing that, that's a that's you've got to be emotionally intelligent to that. But you've got to have a lot of confidence to do that as well. And hmm. I, I see it differently. I don't know if people agree with this. It is your responsibility to do that as a 100%. leader of your team. If you don't do that, shame on you. That's remiss of you. Hundred so, percent. If it doesn't start with me, like how do I expect them to go and you know get some help or, or to speak to someone, right? So like we, we're leaders, right? We are leading. We're not bosses sitting there with a with a with a with a um, a clipboard, right? Ticking boxes, right? Because there's a big difference. Right. I don't see the difference between bosses and leaders, right? As a leader, you're going to lead from the front, and there's nothing right. that I'll ever get my team to do that I wouldn't do, get my what I wouldn't do myself. And that's from cleaning the toilets to to anything, right? And I, and I think again, it's, it's it's very important. But yeah, look to your point. I mean, I know a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of very successful CEOs and owners that are just, you know, they will never ever show any sort of vulnerability like that. Right. And, and, and that's fine. Look, that's you know, each to their own. Right. But I, I think, you know, true, true leaders and true, you know, entrepreneurs need to show some degree of vulnerability and and authenticity. Right. Like we're real people. We're, we are humans. It used to right? be like that, Robert. I used to think some things, some things would appear as weakness. But mm. you know what? I, you know, what I've realized being brave and showing up every day, knowing you're going to be there means you're human. I remember years ago, um, I actually was having a meeting 
It was about six in the morning. I never have meetings from three to seven in the morning because of my time. Someone came from Brisbane and he goes, Chris, I need to spend some more time with you. Okay. So it was about six, six fifteen, and I slept for one hour that night because my kids were up all night and I go, shall I sleep? And while he was talking to me, I was about to pass out. And I go, I'm going to stand up because I don't want him to see me. I don't want him to see his sign of weakness. So I got up and I walked. I passed out. I headbutted the wall on the way through, got concussed. I actually got an ambulance to the Alfred because I didn't want him to see me faint because I thought it was a sign of weakness. Yeah. Now, ultimately, not a sign of weakness, but it's just knowing that you're going to show up in your whatever it is. But in my mind, the way I've been raised and the way, I guess, from, from fighting, for me, I'm not going to let someone see me faint. Mm. What happened? Good. Headbutted the wall on the way through and I, got, and I went to the Alfred. I got, I got to have that by stretcher. But it's some people see it as weakness. And I guess I can see both points that I can understand why they feel that way. But I think the biggest strength is being vulnerable and making sure you show up the next day. Yeah. I think yeah. that's the biggest yeah. strength. I totally, totally, totally agree. Look, and I'm not suggesting that everybody needs to go and like, you know, tell the whole world about what's going on in their life. But, you know, there becomes a point in time where, you know, as a leader, as I said, you just got to show some sort of vulnerability, right? Yeah, but look, let's, uh, I want to shift gears a bit, right? So, oh, yeah. the property game. Yep. So, tell me, and tell our listeners, what's happening in the property market at the moment in Australia? There's so much talk, man. There's like talk that, you know, the Reserve Bank is shooting themselves. There's talk that a lot of the, you know, a lot of homeowners that had, um, that deferred their loans, you know, there's like a bucket of them that won't, that haven't even responded to the banks. And, you know, there's all sorts of, Stuff going on. There's a lot of questions. You know, in terms of where do I feel the property market is, it depends what what's taught of them. What, what I deal in the, the affordability range, what I say, the four to hundred is never stronger. Because you've got to remember one thing: after any market crash, after any GFC, or in this case, it's going to be a pandemic, the property market will always come back super strong. Reason being, people still need to invest, people are still going to pay maximum tax, and people still need to retire. And people feel comfortable with bricks and mortar. And yeah. secondly, all you need to look at is, beside the fact we're, we're in the most, we're the best environment to borrow money now, 0.25, mm. lowest rate we've ever had, because they're trying to mm. stimulate the economy. It's a very, very good time to have your money active. But the reason why I think it's a good time to invest in real estate, in the affordability range, people still need to live somewhere. When you go to a bank, which is what my point I was getting at, again, the ADHD kicked in and I forgot that point. <laughs> 90, a if a bank will give you 90 to 95% loan against something, they're saying it's safe and secure. No one assesses risk like a bank. A bank's mm. job is to assess risk. So when you're looking at the lower end of the scale, like the affordability, it's always going to do well. Mm. In terms of the high-end property market, that might take a bit of a dip. Mm. Now, the reason why people are very, very scared, and I think the biggest thing you've got property now is buy sentiment. When it comes to March, when job keeper, job seeker mm. stops, you will see the true unemployment rates. You're going to see people stop spending money. When their honeymoon period stops, when they froze their loan and they ha they're having to catch up, that's when you're going to see the financial hurt. So I've been saying for a very long time, we have not seen the effects of COVID financially in Australia. You will see them in six to 12 months. So yeah, agreed. up and be prepared. Now, I still stand by this statement. You're going to see one of the biggest property booms you've seen in certain parts of Australia in certain regional areas. And I guarantee that. And why do I say that? Besides the fact I'm putting all my clients in these areas, I'm investing heavily in these areas right now in these markets. Is Queensland one of them? 
Southeast Queensland, I think, is going to do amazing things. I just the developer that I had in prior to that we were talking about Southeast Queensland, regional Victoria. Because of COVID and working from home now, it's opened up a lot of different markets. That's People right. being able to work from home, it's it's opening up. It's affordable. The lifestyle's better. The weather's better. It's not as congested with the traffic. Good walk scores, there's good infrastructure being spent in certain areas. There's so many factors to why people need to consider. But one thing I do say to people, before you look at real estate, that's the second, third question. Look at your affordability. Mm. Look at what you can borrow. Look mm. at how much it's safe to service. Now, properties are coming in neutral or positively geared because the rates are so low and you're getting mm. the rents and you're getting maximum tax deductions. Mm. So it's never been a better time to get into the market mm. if you can afford it. If you can afford someone, it, yeah. Someone told me this. When's the right time to buy property? And I've always thought, what's the answer? The answer is yesterday. On the provisor, you can afford to keep the property for the right amount of time. If yeah. a bank's saying you can afford 700000 here's a good tip. Borrow five hundred. Mm. If you can afford to repay three hundred a week, repay one hundred a week and still put that extra 200 in your buffer. Because as your mm. property goes up in value and you're paying the equity, this is a safety net. If you've mm. got a $30,000 buffer, if you're allowing for an 8% vacancy rate, if you're allowing for rates to go up, not that they're going to go up for years anyway, but when you're borrowing money, you should always allow for money to go. I lost a lot because I over-leveraged. Mm. So for me, part of what I do and teach my clients is not to over-leverage, to understand that you need to be able to weather market conditions. If you don't get a tenant, if interest rates go up, if they damage your property, if you lose your job, there's safety nets and insurances to mitigate against all these risks. Mm. But the, the core question that you asked me, would property going to boom? The property that without being biased that I'm selling definitely will. And what, what I mean by that, the four to 800,000 mark in certain areas is going to perform amazingly. Mm. And why I'm very, very, very um, confident putting my clients in these certain areas like Southeast Queensland, like regional Victoria. I've been investing heavily in Geelong since 2014. Mm. We've seen massive growth there. There's so much going on there. And regional yeah. now, even more so with the pandemic, regional is going to boom even more because people are living, they're using it as an alternative choice to live, but yeah. also affordable as well. It's more affordable. Got great rental yields. So I'm not worried about the property market. If I'm going to put a concern around anything, Robert, it's going to be buyer sentiment and how people are. But I'm not suggesting people rush out and buy property. Understand where your income's coming from making sure your job's secure. And don't, if you're going to take one thing away from what I said, don't over leverage. Go mm. speak to an expert. Do your due diligence. And when I mean an expert, someone with a proven track record. I've seen a lot of people on the internet, gurus that have been in real estate for one year. They've got 15 properties, which God knows if it's true. We've been in real estate for 21 years. Our upper management has over 200 years experience. We've done over 3,000 deals, sold a billion dollars worth of real estate. I buy in the areas we sell, my team buys in the areas we sell, and we understand the market. Am I saying to buy from Remington? No. I'm saying make sure that who you speak to has all these credentials. Because it's so, very critical, right? And like something you touched on a couple of times there is like understanding that you're not over leveraged and that you're not, you know, like understanding your position. And I think, and obviously you're an expert, right? you understand this stuff. But for me, it's like, you know, if the bank is throwing money at you, it doesn't mean that you can just go and go and take it because right now you might afford it. But guess what happens when the interest rates go up, right? And this is where we find mortgage um, auctioneers, right? And they, well, I mean, their reserve is like a dollar, right? They don't care. They just want money, right? They just want to sell the property. And that's, I guess, what happened in the US, right? Is that the interest rates were so low, people just borrowing money that they really couldn't afford. When interest rates went back up, boop, the bubble burst. Short. But we're that's a right. little lucky in Australia because we've got, we've got APRA and we've got all regula regulated bodies. Yeah. 
Now yep. they have loosened the lending policies recently to act, to stimulate our economy. But the reason why I don't think we're nowhere near as bad as America, it was unregulated. People are borrowing way too much money that they couldn't afford. Yeah. So there's all these brokers making all this money, giving people five, six loans when they couldn't do it. So I think Australia is in a much more stable position, but putting, putting uh, different countries aside, focus on the most important person in the equation I say to my clients. Focus on you. Focus on what you can afford. Now I say to my clients, this is a long-term proposition. It's not a get-rich-get-quick scheme. This is build wealth better for tomorrow. Now my strategy is to buy, hold, and duplicate the process. Now there's the buy and flip. There's the buy and renovate. People go, Chris, what's better? I said, they're all good strategies. It depends who you get the advice from. Mm-hmm. My strategy is the safest by far. You can develop property and do all that, but it's riskier. My strategy for my clients, it takes time, but it's a lot more robust. It's a lot safer. But which strategy is the best? They all work very well. It depends who yeah. you speak to. I'm not going to tell yeah. you one's better than the other. Look, and I, and I know, I mean, I've read your book, you know, your, your Path to Wealth Brick by Brick. And I think to anyone that's listening at the moment that wants to find out more about, you know, Chris and his thinking and what he's done over the time and, you know, and his strategies, I think it's a great book to, 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 to grab and, and, and have a read of. Chris, man, I know you and me, we could, talk for days right but thank you it's been an absolute pleasure having you on having you on how do we how do we find you how do people find you if they want to get in touch well look um reventon.com.au um i do a lot of stuff on linkedin chris christoffi you can follow me on my social so i'm a very very active poster i'm very open with all the information that i share with all my lessons all my experiences i love talking to people and helping people so the the book that you mentioned your path to wealth brick by brick 100 of any dollar raised from that goes towards charity which is why I wrote that book to help more people and more Australians. So just reach out to reventon.com, Chris Christoffi. I'm pretty, pretty easy to find. Yeah. Just Google the name, you'll find him. <laughs> you will. And Robert, thank you very much, mate. Beside the fact you're a friend, I love what you're doing. I love all your posts. Um, you're a very smart guy, switched on and keep doing what you're doing, mate. Thanks for having me on your show. And if you ever need me to come back on, mate, I'm always here, mate. Love your work. Thanks, brother. I really appreciate that. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Chris. Thank you.